good. Hi, everyone. We're going to get started. Um, if you can't hear me, please let me know. Um, can't hear me? There. Okay. It's like right. <laughs> All right. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Um, Hi, everyone. It's good to see you all. Uh, if you notice, I am taking a different approach today and sitting uh, with you all. If it were up to me, we would just arrange the chairs in a circle and just have a conversation today. But I'll, uh, I'll find a happy medium <laughs> and just avoid the podium. So, Hi. No, you're good. Good, good. No, you're good. Um, all right, so uh, I know people are still trickling in, so I'll, I'll go ahead and get started. So um, today I am going to be uh, talking or kind of doing a follow-up thank you, thank you. Um, on a few talks that uh, Marchi gave recently in, um, I think the if you want to look up the exact dates, it was May 7th and May 21st. I think there may have been others as well. Um, but uh, Marchi talked to us all about some of the work he has been doing with youth in our community and um, especially learning about some of the reasons why youth are leaving the church. Um, and so there was a long list of reasons, and um, I really encourage you all to uh, re-listen to those. I've spent a lot of time kind of studying some of those takeaways, and it's really, uh, I think like a lot of people, it really resonated with me personally, um, with my experiences growing up in the church, um, and also professionally. So um, for those of you that don't know, I'm an educational psychologist, and um, if I had to describe what it is that drives me to do my work or um, what motivates me or what I'm most passionate about. Um, it's really understanding how to make schools a place where students feel like they're loved, like they're accepted, um, like they belong, um, and also where they feel safe um, to make mistakes and safe to take the risks that we know are really important for learning, for deep, true, lifelong learning. So um, that's probably the reason I'm up here today is because that feels very relevant to thinking about why um, youth leave our church or why youth maybe don't feel connected to the church. And so um, even though I know that's the main reason I was asked to even address or talk about some of those things, um, I'm going to really avoid getting too academic today. That's why I don't have slides. So I'm sitting with all of you, um, and I really want to just more so speak from the heart because, um, you know, again, a lot of the things that Archie talked about in those um, discussions and a lot of the things that he has been learning about from the youth um, I felt very deeply because I experienced a lot of the same things, and I know other people that I've spoken to have felt the same way too. So, um, so I obviously like my professional lens and my personal lens are very intertwined, and they uh, they inform each other and they affect each other. And I think actually think a lot of the reason a lot of my experiences growing up are even what drew me into doing this work because I was just really interested in learning, um, you know, how to 
you know, do good in this world, right? How to bring out the best in people, um, how to, you know, be a positive force in the world. So I think we're called to do that as Christians. Um, I think we're, um, and so for me, um, finding a professional path that also gave me some tools to do that as effectively as possible um, was important to me. So, um, so one of the things that, one of the first things that came to mind after hearing um, a lot of the points that, um, that Archie was communicating from the youth um, was this idea of, of the beloved community. Um, this idea of the beloved community comes up a lot throughout history. I think um, Reverend Martin Luther King talked about the beloved community, right, in his work advocating um, for a, you know, a world free of hatred and racism, right? Um, and he actually defines the beloved community as a community in which everyone is cared for, absent of poverty, hunger, and hate. Um, now, obviously, this idea of a beloved community is, it's too big of a topic for us to really get into very deeply in a 20 to 30 minute talk on a Sunday after we've all uh, been in church for a few hours and are tired. So, um, so I'm really going to touch on sort of one small piece of what I think is really foundational to, um, to what a beloved community can be, um, both for the world, but also in our community as a church. Um, and for me, the foundation of that is really about how we think about non-judgment, right? Um, we talk about that a lot in the church, but we often don't think about it. So that's what I'll be sort of um, putting the magnifying glass on today, but just understanding that that's part of a much more complex, bigger picture that I hope is something that as a group and collectively as a community is something that we will continue talking about in a conversation that we'll continue having. So, um, and again, for me, what that means and looks like, especially as we think about a beloved community that um, where non-judgment is a regular practice, um, for me, that is really thinking about the reflection of Christ's love, right? And what does that look like? And what does he call us to do, right? And um, and so, again, it's something I think about a lot in terms of what that means, what that looks like. So um, I'll just invite us all to think about that um, and reflect on that together today. So um, I want to start by sharing a little bit more about my story um, growing up in the church, um, probably similar to a lot of yours in many ways. Um, but, you know, some of the 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 things that um, the youth have been sharing today, and actually um, Archie's sermon today was really a perfect, again, like setup for this, right? In thinking about really like the wisdom that children have, right? That we, um, that we often dismiss because they don't have as much experience as us in the world, right? Or like, well, you just don't understand, right? Like life is really hard. Um, but what's really amazing to me is that 
as I've studied a lot of these reasons um, that Archie has laid out for us over the past few months, um, if you look at them all together, um, they're really not that different from what Christ spent his short time on this earth preaching, right? He talks about non-judgment. He talks about, um, you know, really focusing on, uh, on how we treat each other, right, and how, um, you know, uh, like the true essence of Christ as opposed to focusing so much on the rules and the dogmas and the logistics, right? Um, and so it's, it's really validating, right, that, um, and a good reminder that our, our youth have a lot of wisdom uh, for us to learn from, right, and why we all need to come to the table to have those discussions. So um, thinking about, um, when I think back to myself as a child, I remember having a lot of questions, right, about, um, you know, learning on one hand about how loving and merciful, you know, Christ is and how, you know, we're all God's children and he loves all of us unconditionally. And then seeing, you know, a lot of, you know, judgment and punitive type of behavior in his house, right, where we're supposed to be coming to learn these things. Um, and so I, you know, growing up, I think a lot of my motivation coming to church, which I'm sure, you know, some of the youth in here today can relate, was, you know, social, wanting to see your friends, feeling grounded in community, um, but then really slowly kind of growing out of um, feeling like the church was a necessary part of my life, right? Like I could really envision a future where I could still be a good person and not necessarily be part of the church, right? And, and I think that's a really telling realization that I had early on because I remember having so many questions about, um, well, how can these two things be true at the same time? How can, you know, God be merciful, but, you know, condemn all of these people to hell because of A, B, and C, right? Um, or how can, you know, thinking about what a lot of people associate with Christianity, right? I mean, there, were, there have been times in my life where I was sometimes ashamed to, for people to know that I was Christian, and it wasn't because I didn't want to be associated with Christ, right? It was because I didn't want to be associated with other Christians who used Christ as an excuse to cause harm and condemn other people, right? Um, and I think we see that a lot today. I think we, um, you know, we see that in our, uh, in our political landscape. I think we see it um, in our everyday lives. And it's, it's one of those things where that becomes a really challenging crossroads for people, right? Who, um, especially, you know, as kids who I think you know, if you remember learning about Christ growing up, like, I mean, he, he's awesome, right? Like, kids really relate to these stories, and even, you know, rediscovering Christ through our own kids as they're learning about him. It's really amazing to just even see the awe and wonder 
in their eyes and in their hearts when they learn, they hear the stories of Christ and they, you know, learn about how he treated other people and, you know, the miracles and all of those things. Um, And so I don't think it's ever about wanting to move away from Christ, right, that this is happening. I know a lot of people who grew up, you know, in the Christian faith and and have no problem with Christ. Like, yeah, he's a great guy. I wish he was around today, right? Um, but it's not, it's not, that's not the thing that's turning them away. It's the people who, again, um, use Christ's name um, as, again, a justification for hate, for judgment, for condemnation. And so, um, and so as a young adult, I did move away f- kind of from the church. I didn't have, I wasn't pulled. When I was no longer forced to go to church, I was not, I did not feel pulled and drawn to come to church. Um, and interestingly enough, I think I was able to rediscover Christ in my education and in my training as a mental health professional Um, especially as a mental health professional that studied, um, you know, issues of social justice, where it was about how to help the most marginalized among us, right? The people who are most excluded in our society. Um, And for me, the more I learned about the psychology of human behavior, how to support other human behavior uh, or humans in positive change, um, how to, um, you know, support people who are rejected and harmed in this world because they don't fit a certain standard, right, or, you know, meet certain expectations. Um, And in many ways, that felt more Christ-like to me than what I had experienced in church, growing up, right? And so I experienced that, again, the the further I got into my training, the further I got into my work, um, the more I was able to rediscover Christ in a way that I had not experienced um, growing up in the church. And that was really uh, transformative for me in a lot of ways, right? Um, And I think, you know, having our own kids and and finding a path back to at least give them a chance to learn about Christ and discover Christ in their own way uh, almost gave me another chance to say, okay, I have sort of this new lens, this new understanding that feels very congruent with what I would imagine Christ's love to be, and I just have these kind of tangible tools, right? Um, in fact, one of, the, one of the first things you learn as a, like a counselor in training um, is that one of the most important um, conditions in a therapeutic relationship is something called unconditional positive regard, which is a very clinical term for unconditional love, right? It means that we enter these therapeutic relationships without judgment, right, without condemnation, and welcoming people to join us as they are, right, and meeting them where they are, and really, in a lot of ways, um, you know, the healing agent there is total acceptance and, and non-judgment, um, which, again, for me, 
feels way closer to Christ's love than other things that I had learned about, right, or that I had witnessed growing up. So, um, so I feel very fortunate that for me, my education and training um, was a pathway back to him, right, and back to the church. And I think for me, um, have, rooting in that understanding, then it became less important what other people around me were doing, and it was about me and my relationship with Christ and how I wanted to try and um, embody that for other people, right, as opposed to even relying on other people for it and really relying on God. Um, and so, um, And so I think, you know, as we think about, um, you know, Christ's love as being very radical, right? His love, his teaching, his words, it was so radical for that time, right? And even for the time that we're living in now, um, you know, we, it, it, it was not a, a normal or acceptable thing to unconditionally accept and love all of the people, right? It was very, if you think about what the, you know, the synagogues and the religious institutions were like then, um, there were very strict conditions that were necessary for you to even enter, right? Whether it was you were clean, right? Quote, unquote, clean by some standard of clean. Um, and, you know, as women, you know, if you have certain ailments or whatever that was, then you didn't even have the option. Um, whether or not maybe you could donate a certain amount, there were really strict conditions on who could even be included in the space. And so I think what is really interesting when we think back to that story is that, you know, what really made a lot of people mad at that time is Christ was telling everybody that they were welcome into the kingdom of God, which was a very different message that people were giving and getting at that time, right? And so that's the kind of radical love, I think, that the youth are screaming to us and telling us that they need, right? And that we want to feel um, in, this, in this place and in this church. And I think, um, again, for me, thinking about what is the precursor, what is like the foundational element to that kind of radical love? Um, and I think we really have to spend some time thinking about this idea of what non-judgment really is, right? Because judgment and condemnation are not compatible with love and compassion. They're, they just don't, they just don't mix, right? Um, and that's really hard because, you know, sometimes, and, I, and again, I'm guilty of this myself, um, being judgmental is such an automatic response for us often, right, as humans. I mean, we're just judging all the time, right? Um, at every, you know, moment of the day, and the more I've been thinking about this, the more I've even just tried to increase my own awareness of when I'm judging, right? And the second you start doing that, you're, you know, you, it becomes really crystal clear that it's a, it's a constant thing for us that we have to be aware of, right? Um, even, you know, when Archie was talking about um, 
our Emmanuel earlier today in the sermon. Um, even the example, right, that, that he gave of, you know, when your child, like, knocks over something and breaks it, right, and comes running to you because they're so upset they know that something, they did something wrong, right? And my initial instinct, because, you know, that story's happened many times with one thing or another, right? And my initial instinct is always, like, where did things go wrong? You know, like maybe if you had been doing the six things I had asked you to do 10 minutes ago, you wouldn't have broken the thing, right? And that's my initial judging response, right? When really in that moment, what he needs from me is love. And he needs understanding and compassion. He already knows what went wrong. He already knows what he did wrong. He already knows, like, he doesn't need me to repeat that for him, right? Um, and what I often find, too, is in moments where I can catch myself and move to love before judgment, there's nothing I, can, there's nothing I need to say because he already feels everything he needs to feel to understand that situation, right, and what went wrong. But if I do come in with judgment, now the focus is on me making him feel even worse for what happened as opposed to feeling supported, right? And so the question is like, what are we leading with? Um, And uh, Father Richard Rohr, um, I've been reading a really, really amazing book um, from him called uh, Jesus's Alternative Plan, where he uh, breaks down the Sermon on the Mount in a really beautiful way. Um, And he he talks about this really, really, in a really beautiful way in his book. And he says, um, we are burdened, and I do mean burdened, with our own need to explain and judge everything. Who is right now? Who was wrong there? These are eventual and important moral questions, but we cannot, we dare not lead with them. If we do, we make love and compassion impossible. This is the centrality and yet unbelievability of Jesus' words, judge not. Um, And so what I really, really love about this framing, right, is that thinking about non-judgment as a precursor or a foundational element to unconditional love is not about... uh, just completely eliminating like our need to determine what's right and wrong, right? Like that's not what it's about. Um, But really the question is, are we leading with judgment? Is that what is leading our decisions, how we treat people, right? Um, Or are we leading with love, right? Are we leading with love and compassion, right? And focusing on our own, you know, shortcomings or, or um, what it is that we need to work on in order to be more in the light of God's love, right? And, and more in that, in that model of God's love. Um, and uh, I often try to think back, again, when I think of, try to define and think about what love is, right? And really, like, you know, it seems so simple. And, and in a lot of ways, it is really simple. And, and this, I think, goes back to what our youth share with us, right? And the way that our kids see it, it's, it's almost more accessible to them, 
in a lot of ways, right? Like the simplicity and beauty of Christ's radical love, I believe is easier for children to understand than it is for adults to understand. Um, and when I think about, you know, how Christ modeled this love when he was on this earth, um, I don't really remember any stories or accounts of Christ himself even leading with judgment, unless it was about the people who were judging, (laughs) right? Or the people who were excluding. Those are the parts that I remember. I don't know if anybody else remembers other stories like that, but what I remember from, from the stories of Christ was that that he led with love, and that was the healing. That was like at the core of what was so healing about Christ on this earth. It wasn't judgment. That's not what compelled people to follow him or do the right thing, right? He didn't, you know, meet the Samaritan woman at the well and then, you know, condemn her for all the horrible things that she had done and tell her these are all the things you need to do, right? That she had been getting that all the time. That was not what caused her to change course, right? What caused her to change course? Anybody? It was love, right? It was literally the fact that he was willing to talk to her like a human being, that nobody else had given her that dignity and that love, right? And that was what was healing, right? It wasn't about the condemnation, right? And I think, I think it would be pretty clear, and we could probably find a lot of examples, right, of, of that being the agent of change that, that Christ brought that was so radical. Um, and so I think, um, you know, when we think about what are some of the consequences of judgment, right? We could think about judgment at every level, right? We could think about it like in a, in a look, right, that we give people, that people feel deeply, right? Um, judgment is not just in words or telling people what's right or wrong. It, people can feel our judgment, right? So we can even strive to be less outward about it, but if we're still feeling that judgment, people are still feeling that from us, right? Um, But really, at the core of bigotry, of prejudice, of that us versus them mentality that alienates and excludes so many people, right? At the core of that is judgment, right? Or the judgment is like the seed, that's planted. And so we can, again, think about the most extreme incidences of, of hate and violence, right, that started with that judgment of what you're doing is not worthy of love or even peace, right, um, or acceptance. Um, and even from the smallest thing of just a disapproving look of what someone's wearing or what someone says, right? And so we see it really at every at every level, um, and so uh, and so, I think that you know this this almost kind of poison of judgment as being the catalyst of anything we do or think or say. Um, I believe is really a hindrance 
to the kind of love that, um, hi, that Christ not only embodied while he was here, but also called us to, to spread and embody right um, through him. So, um, so I think, you know, understanding that, uh, that judgment and our um, instinct and those kind of automatic responses that we have to judge everything and everyone all the time, um, I think is, I believe, kind of where we can start, right? Um, a lot of the things that, you know, Archie talked about and the youth brought up, I think we really have to think kind of from a systemic, structural, there's a lot of work that we need to do. There's always been a lot of work to do, right? Um, and this is just a reminder that we have more, to, more work to do. Um, but if we're looking for something to start today or tomorrow, um, I think this is one that's really accessible, to all of us, right? It starts, it starts with us. Um, and so I think some of it is about the questions that we ask ourselves, right? A, are we willing to maybe just be more aware of how much we are judging on a daily basis, right? Um, maybe we start questioning, well, are there certain things or people or circumstances that I find myself judging more, right? And usually at the root of that, we have some kind of a bias or a prejudice that either we're not aware of or we have justified for a long time because of that judgment, right? Because that judgment also almost gives us and it gives us validation and excuse. Well, I mean, it's wrong, so I can judge it because it's wrong, right? So really asking ourselves those questions, um, I think, is really important, um, and so, um, and, and again, as Richard Rohr kind of brought up in a really beautiful way, are we leading with judgment or are we leading with love, right? Are, what are we most concerned about, right? As did God uh, and Christ, did Christ call us to be the judge or did he call us to be love, right? Um, I think we all noted the answer to that, but it's harder in practice, right? And so I think what we ask ourselves, um, you know, is if, you know, if we did face Christ tomorrow, do we feel that he would be more concerned with how accurately and how consistently we judged the actions of other people? Or would he be asking us how much we loved the most marginalized and the most excluded people in our world, right? Again, I think we probably all know the answer to that. Um, but just some important things that I've reflected on and thought about and um, hopefully can be a good starting point for us to um, just, yeah, start, start asking ourselves and each other. So I'm gonna stop there um, and just kind of open it up to questions, comments, Um, I wanted to add. Uh, mm -hmm. um, I wanted to add what Archie was saying uh, earlier today when he was saying, like, you know, the Pharisees—they had it right. You know, they—they they, they were, 
they were asked to to do the laws, right, the, the laws of Moses, and to keep that intact. Where, how easy is it for us to cross that line and become them, even as Orthodox Christians, where we start to follow the letter of the law, and we start following the cultural norms, and it starts to seep into the church, right? Where, like, how hard is that to keep that conscious to us, you know? Because I think it's very difficult. Mm -hmm. And so even myself, I, I catch myself doing things where like, oh, I was raised where I was caught. And then I'm, I'm starting to say that to the kids. And I realize, no, 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 I have to stop. But it's hard to be aware of that sometimes. Yeah. You know, I think it's subconscious even at mm -hmm. times. Yeah. So I, like I, my question is, if you could just touch on that, like how hard is, like it's so easy to cross over that line, yeah. I think, at times. Yeah. It's really hard, right? I think, again, that's why I kind of mentioned I think almost judgment has become an automatic response for us as humans, right? And I think we have been conditioned in a lot of ways, right, to judge everything and everyone and I think all with good intention, right? Um, but I think it's, there's, it's like a lot of things in our life that we have to really take active steps to unlearn, right? And it goes back to even what Archie was saying today is like, can we ever get back to that like childlike, um, you know, perspective and thinking like, I mean, probably not, but we can strive to, right? And I think, um, yes, it's hard, but I think everything that Christ asks us to do is really hard. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I echo that. I think it is really hard not to judge. Um, it's, a, it's an uphill battle telling yourself not to judge. But it's, uh, it's interesting you brought up the story of the Samaritan woman. Um, what Christ does is he finds the good, right? Mm -hmm. So when he was talking to the woman, she had five husbands. Mm -hmm. um, and when he was talking to her, he pointed out that she was truthful with him. Mm -hmm. That she said, uh, you have five husbands, and then the one you are with now is not your husband. Mm -hmm. um, he says you spoke truly. So I think we can echo that as well, because yeah. telling ourselves not to judge is hard, but finding the good in people is easier. It's a better way to, to not judge um, yeah. in a roundabout way. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I agree. Um, I really liked what you said about, like, how we want to try and strive to be like um, a child in the way that we view love. Mm -hmm. And like, I really felt that way because I have a little brother, he's like eight. <laughs> so it's like 10 year difference. And yesterday I was hanging out with him um, and it was really nice because I was like, and James, why do you love me? <laughs> and he was just like, oh, because you're my sister. And it was like very like simple sentence, things like that. And I think when we um, like start growing up and um, you're creating deeper connections and things like that, we do complicate things in the way that, um, why do I love this person? Mm -hmm. uh, what allows me to love this other person? Is it the, what they do for me? Yeah how they make me feel, like do they make me feel special, what are they doing for me? And I think that um, a big thing about what God calls us to do is think about it like 
how James thinks of me as his sister. Like, if we're all brothers and sisters in Christ, then doesn't everyone deserve to be loved? Not because they did anything for you, but because God calls us to love them. Yeah. So, Thank you. I, I think that's absolutely right. And I think, you know, I think it's really hard for us as humans, too, to even understand this concept of unconditional love, because so much of life comes with so many conditions all the time. But those conditions are also based on judgment, right? Like we judge the conditions that we need or if someone has met certain conditions to deserve our love or to deserve those things, right? And I think that's exactly, I think that's a really beautiful example, right, of, of, of just that. Thank and you. I, and I think the judgment passes the identity, right? We forget that our identity is that we're children of God. So by default, right. if God is loved, that we are to be loved. Yeah. And so I think even judgment can forget or kind of um, obscure our lenses on what is our identity. And our identity is to love. Yeah. And I think we forget that. Yeah. And I would just like to add to the importance of the Holy Spirit in all of this because mm-hmm. love is so difficult and, oh, sorry, love is so difficult and, and to embody unconditional love is even more difficult. And I've definitely had my struggle with being quick to anger and knowing that <clears throat> at the end of the day, I have a tolerance and it's like coming from a reservoir or a place where by the end of the day, my decisions are just not yeah. going to be how I would want to present myself, but it's just coming from my strength. Mm-hmm. But when you rely on the Holy Spirit and you really call God into every situation and decision, that reservoir is unlimited. Yeah. And even at the end of the day, it's so easy to make those decisions because it's not you working anymore. Yes. It's the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And it's very difficult to do. But like Angel was saying, our little brother, it's hard sometimes when they have so much energy and you're just done. But when you can pull on the Holy Spirit and God and just ask for that strength, you're just that conduit and he's just working in you. And you're no longer even tired and it doesn't feel like it's even a mental game. It's more just allowing God to work. And so I, I don't know. It's definitely very important to call on the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay. Oh yeah. Um, Sometimes I think about the commandment of love, love your enemy. And I, I would always, before I used to think of my enemy as that person that offends me. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but sometimes my enemy isn't a person. Sometimes my enemy is an ideology. Mm-hmm. Like...
staying in that judgment place, but it just, it morphs and it changes, right? And that's really, I think, you know, with a lot of things that we struggle with in this world, it's like sometimes we think we've gotten through it, but it really has just sort of like shifted a little bit. So it's almost unrecognizable, right? And so that's a perfect example of like a person versus an ideology. Like we may not think about it in that way, right? But we have to be really vigilant because um, it's a moving target, right? In that sense. So, yeah. Thank you. All right. It's time to In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom. Thank you, Annie. Thank, thank you, Anne.